0: would wait for him to go to class, and then I would sneak in and um, take a shower in his shower. Sorry, We would go on fritter runs together, Taco Bell runs. He was the tallest guy on the floor and had the smallest car.
1: <laughs>
0: and um, we had, you know, it's, you've, you might have heard me talk about this before, talking about Paul and him coming. It's like I remember thinking, if you want to be good at something or smart at something or more knowledgeable at something find somebody that's smarter than you and and that is paul um we would spend time studying greek together staying out at perkins or whatever um doing greek um and uh, you all know, the little jingles to remember um, the, the endings but god has blessed him you served at rawhide boys camp um boys camp right Um, He did a stint down in Texas at the Oaks Church, came back. He was also on staff at North Central University teaching, and now he's with Venture. And God has blessed him. He's got a word for us this morning. Um, Before he comes up, we're going to play a video that talks a little bit more about Venture, and you're in for a treat.
2: is a big problem. We wanted to keep girls as a lighthouse, but because of the government rules to send these girls back to home, the health challenges, the food challenges, they have no water, and ten percent of the girls that went to the village
3: has this suicidal tendency. The one girls. From our lighthouse, her name is Amrita. She committed suicide. Two weeks ago, I received one of the news that another girl tried to commit suicide also. And I don't want to lose another girl's news. I only lose one. That girl's life is matter to me.
4: When the COVID comes, it's more problem for displaced people and they don't have like enough food. So it's very dangerous for their family, for the baby, or for the children.
3: If Venture cannot send the food, it will be very difficult because it is our main food that we will receive.
2: The girls that have gone to the village are always at risk of being sold.
3: This is the right time for the pimps to convince their girls' parents, and also they can convince girls. They don't have food, they are sick, they need a medicine, and like, but pimps have money, they have food, they have everything. When a lockdown is over, they're going to take the girls from Nepal to India, for sure. This is how they're working. I don't want to see another girl standing you know, in like or in India, just you know hoping somebody comes. God brings us into contact with marginalized
0: communities who are systemically oppressed and puts us in touch with local leaders
4: who have already started to address the oppression. And it's our privilege to come alongside those people. That's what we do. It's what we've always done.
3: future is helping the people who need most. Making the people like to us that, okay, you are not alone in this, your battle.
0: We're choosing to suffer so that they can be free.
3: We're not gonna let you down. We're not gonna let you like sold out. We're not gonna let you like being raped.
2: We are so thankful to the Lord for venture and the people that are joining the venture to bring the hope to cope up with the pandemic and otherwise, many of us. We have died with these challenges.
0: There is an end to our suffering. Victims of trafficking don't have a finish line.
3: There's an end, but like, we're going to help you. We're going to feed you. And this is called true love. Even, no matter what happens,
2: you know, challenge is part of life. But let us join hands together, share whatever we can do, and bring the message of hope to the people. Because together, we get a big difference.
1: Good morning, NBC. Good morning. Good morning. Um, so as we were in worship, I was uh, actually thinking about you two. And so this is like, and then that verse came up. And uh, you all know, probably, how lucky you are to have the pastors that you have. but. I had an opportunity to have coffee just a week or so ago, and we were. I was just listening to your pastors to. uh, I will try to do my best to keep remembering to say Pastor Lance, but he's just Lance that took showers in my room. Um, Which there was always a clear delineation in between the two showers. Anyway, um, you know, we're in church. But as I heard their story, the two words um, that just kept coming to mind, and I think it's for you too, but it's also for NBC as we move from 21 to 2022, as we move from one season to another season, hopefully as a society, as we move from one uh, current reality to another reality. I was just struck by two words, perseverance and innovation. Um, And I I listened to your story, and it's marked by perseverance. And at every step of the way, easy or not easy, not only did you continue, but you guys kept innovating. And I think there are lots of things that you want in pastors and leaders. You want them to be maybe funny, um, and Pastor Lance can't bring that. Um, You want them (laughs) to be you want them to be smart and they're smart and all these things. But, but you, want, you do want people of character and people um, that know how to navigate through multiple seasons. And I'm so convinced, as the verse said at the end, uh, Hebrews 29, 11, one of my favorites, we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed. So now to this community, you're not marked as people who just flip-flop and go back and forth and wishy-washy. But you're marked as people who don't give up but who persevere and who move towards a more faithful representation of what the kingdom looks like in Madison and the rest of the world. And so um, I believe that for you guys as pastors. Um, I believe it for you all as a family. I'm so glad you're sitting next to your dad because I'm, 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 I'm sitting there going, that's gotta be their daughter. I mean, it just, it just has to be your, she's like a mini you, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, But I I just, I really believe that for y'all, and so it is an honor to be here and to be a part of of this season as we move from 21 to 22, as we, even this new building, all that it represents, I pray only blessings for this place and and, um, the partnership between NBC and Venture. Uh, I wish, I wish I was speaking on Psalm 133 because... um, Psalm 133 is a verse about the oil dripping down Aaron's beard. And I would just have Judah come up and just stand here the whole time. Because I could could barely worship. I just wanted to get up underneath that beard and let it it shield me from the impending snow and storm. So thank you for that beard. That's wonderful. Um, uh, It's good it's it's great to be here um first of all i'm thrilled to be here safely Uh, i'm from minneapolis and i drove here well i didn't drive i rode here my 16 year old daughter who has a driver's permit drove all four and a half hours um so to be safe is you know i feel like i've got an extra day of life um and at one point my daughter's driving like this with a big smile going i can't believe i'm doing this i'm listening to olivia rodrigo driver's license On the radio while I'm driving it's incredible and only a few young people know what I'm talking about but but it was a moment I'm uh, I grew up in Green Bay so seeing a Rogers jersey seeing a Josiah Debrera jersey I could literally I still can see the jumbotron from my parents backyard so you know I bleed Packers Badgers Brewers Bucks right world champion Bucks right fear the deer Um, also uh, I am really honored to be here because we don't know what happens in a moment like this. You don't know what kind of a catalytic moment this could be for this group or for anybody as an individual, young or old, really smart or not so smart. Um, you just don't know what kind of a, you don't know what kind of a moment. Uh, the organization, the stories that you saw there started in a moment like this where somebody was sharing about a need and there are great needs. Uh, in the world uh, both right here in Dane County and around the world but was sharing about a need and God in that moment dropped an idea an innovative idea on three students Uh, and they decided that they were going to respond to that need in a way that it couldn't have made a lot of sense to them at that point because they decided they were gonna bike across the country Uh, and the reason why that doesn't make a lot of sense is because none of them even own bikes um, they just, they just, it was this random idea, but if I, if I fast forward, they put their back tires in the Pacific Ocean and they biked all the way across the Atlantic Ocean. One of them, the, our founder, is from Shawano, Wisconsin. He sold his car to buy the bike because he felt so compelled by this good news and his role in the good news for other people that he'd never met before, that he wanted to raise money in. And when they got across the country 3,300 miles, they had raised $18,000, which at that time for college students could have been a million bucks. They didn't know they were starting a a movement. They didn't know that they were starting an organization. They didn't have a a title or a name or anything like that. They were just people that at a moment like this were moved to do something for the kingdom. And what started with three students on bikes and raised $18,000 has now raised over $40 million for missions around the world. And so um, so when I say it's good to be here, it's because understanding that this is a sacred moment. Um, now, don't worry. You don't have to put on spandex and get on a bike to be a part of the story that we're talking about because we're talking about a broader kingdom conversation. There is a line in that video, that, and I've probably seen that video, I don't know, certainly a hundred times and every single time there's a line that gets me and it says that the marginalized are exponentially more vulnerable right. now if you're still catching up with daylight savings that's a lot of syllables that the marginalized are exponentially more vulnerable the marginalized are always vulnerable there are people on the edges of society that are literally white knuckling to hold trying to hold on And then a global pandemic that turned into a financial crisis, that turned into an opportunity for oppressors to prey on vulnerable people, has created um, a situation that is literally life or death for people. And before I move on, I know that each of us in this room have been impacted by what's happened over the last 18 months in different ways. Maybe it's your health, maybe it's your job. Maybe it's friendships, we're losing friendships, we're losing relationships, we're losing connection through this thing. And I don't wanna belittle anything that's happening to people in this room and your loved ones. But what I know is the marginalized that we work with in places of the world that were already deeply, deeply in danger has only exponentially increased their instability. I know it because I get emails every single week requesting food because they're refugees that have been violently pushed off their land. And and these emails, when I open them up, it says, be careful clicking on the attached pictures, and I will keep it PG, but because the attached pictures are literally bodies of people that have died from hunger and from nutrition-deficient disease. While we are all impacted by the last 18 months, we don't walk outside and see people just laying over in the side of the road but we get these requests all the time we get reports from the areas where we serve that are saying that pimps are literally pre-purchasing young children so that supply can meet the demand when the borders open up and that should never happen and as christ followers we are called we have an opportunity to do something more than just feel bad about what's going on there scripture invites us to something deeper invites us to be emissaries and ambassadors of a picture of who we can be as the body of Christ. I'm reminded that the marginalized are exponentially more vulnerable when I get reports of people that are literally delivering the food that are being um, apprehended and beaten and imprisoned simply because more powerful figures want to steal that food because because there are people in power And there are people in vulnerability. And in between is a vacuum that desperately needs for the gospel to be shown. The marginalized are exponentially more vulnerable. So what we talk about this morning, who we are, how we understand the kingdom, the whole gospel for the whole person, it matters. I work with an organization called Venture. You saw some of the stories up there. We are passionate about bringing justice to the unreached. And we serve in this little circle right here. And the crazy part about this circle right here is that half of the global population live in that circle. Half. If it's early in the morning, that's one out of every two for y'all. That's a greater percentage chance than the Vikings have to win today. You like that? My
3: bad.
1: Half. And within that half, the greatest concentration of people that have never heard the name of Jesus. And it's not just about whether they do or don't go to church on Sunday. It's about whether they've been reminded that they were created in the image of the Imago Dei. That they are not the bottom, they're the top, they're not the last, they're the first. That God has beautifully created them to thrive. And when they hear that, their life is radically changed. Half of the world lives here. The greatest number of people that have never heard even the name of Jesus. And in all the world, all of the Christian giving put together, less than 1% of all Christian giving is invested in this circle. So we think we should do something about that. This is strategically where we feel called to bring justice to the unreached. We're in this area, and we... Go into communities and we identify marginalized communities that are impacted by four different injustices. There will not be a quiz, but I will go slow. The four injustices that we address, human trafficking, refugee crisis, extreme poverty, and persecution. Human trafficking, people literally selling other people. Most often eight, nine, and ten-year-old girls and boys selling them. Refugee crisis people literally being pushed off their land by violence because they are the weaker group, most of the time because of either their ethnicity or because of what they believe, being pushed off, refugee crisis, extreme poverty, people not even knowing where they're going to eat, and persecution because of what group they were born to or because what they believe. We identify these four areas, and then we work with local leaders in these areas because even though it's the greatest amount of unreached people the holy spirit's still working there the holy spirit's still doing great things there and so we identify church networks pastor networks christian leaders and we work with them to come up with solutions these people that are on the ground that live there they understand the root cause of some of these problems and the holy spirit's talking to them and giving them dreams and visions and innovation and perseverance and we work with them to identify programs and solutions for both their immediate need and long-term and eternal, meaning both the physical and the spiritual needs. So we have things like feeding programs, education, safe houses, microfinance, and discipleship. We collaborate with these kinds of programs, and then we come back to a church like this church right here, Metro Believers Church, NBC. We partner with churches, and we invite you to not just hear the story or to just feel bad. Social media, if you're on it, it's kind of conditioned us to scroll, feel bad, scroll, feel bad. I feel something and I keep going. I feel something and I keep going. I feel something and I keep going. And we say scripture invites us to stop and to enter in. The word compassion comes from this Latin word that means to co-suffer. To stop and enter into what other people are experiencing and to do something about it. So we invite people to radical prayer to fervent generosity and even to physical sweat and sacrifice i talked about the guys that biked across the country or you may have seen some people running and biking we invite people we say it's a picture for those who want to of going i'm going to interrupt my life have any of you trained for a 5k okay a few of you anybody done a marathon all right in order to do a marathon you have to watch less netflix right it's basically that's the formula that's the formula you know you can you can get your sleep you can eat well you can do a lot of things but basically the ratio of running to netflix has to change and you have to you have to specifically create a plan saying that's where i'm going and this is what i'm going to give up and that's what i'm going to head toward and so one of the things that we do is we raise funds through things like that because it it invites you to intentionally interrupt your life and create space for other people. And when we do stuff like this, when we partner with local leaders here and then partner them with local churches like this, the impact is incredible. This last year, we were able to provide 15,800 refugee meals every single day. That's today, that's tomorrow, That's the next day. That's the next day. Every single day, people that were violently moved off their land, many of them just living in the jungle. We just, because of a violent military coup, um, in one of the countries where we serve, Myanmar, there has been a surge of over 200,000 refugees that we are getting word are literally living on the floor in the jungle, having babies on the floor in the jungle, projected up to 76,000 deaths due to starvation, disease, disease. And exposure and yet we have an opportunity to do something about that every single day and we don't just do relief we do development we provide safety 728 boys and girls were rescued or intercepted from human trafficking now while I'm gonna keep this PG it's important that we just say a quick word about human trafficking because what happens is it's such a heinous evil that we give it one label we say it and then we move on But to understand what it means to provide safety for these 728, on average, the young girls that we rescue are exploited 20 to 30 times every single day. So to move from that to a warm bed to sleep in, a healthy meal, a world-class education, an introduction to the gospel of Jesus Christ is a radical shift. And it's not just girls, it's girls and boys. One of the border patrol stations that we help to fund Just gave us a story of 19 boys that thought that they were going from Nepal to India to work in a hotel. And they got word. They started hearing the bus driver and they found out that they were in danger. They called our partner. They were rescued. What was happening was they were being taken to have their organs harvested. And I know that'll be the last thing. But we have to understand as Christ followers, we get to do something about it. I'm not just giving you stories of the awful. I'm saying... That we get to do something about it in the name of Jesus. That things are being done. That those 17 boys are all safe. Praise the Lord. Because being a Christ follower means that we get to be an ambassador of a different kind of kingdom. Regardless of the polarizing conversation on the right or the left or the this or the that. That we as the church get to have a say. And we get to be ambassadors. We get to be salt and light. We also provide long-term education. 1,200 students. That's four and five-year-olds that learn to read and write, but it's also young adults that we teach things like savings and agribusiness and even become church planters. We wanna invest long-term, every place that we go into, we also wanna have a plan to leave so that they can take care of themselves in the way that God has created for them to thrive. And so we invest in agribusiness, last year investing into 800 farmers. So they not only can take care of themselves and their family, but so that their communities can thrive. And in the last 10 years where I've been able to work with Venture, the thing that I know the most in the places where we serve, whatever injustice we address, whatever country we're in, whatever people group we're working with, is that the single greatest source of transformation for an individual or for an entire community is the presence of a local church. What we, I think I want you to help understand is the presence of a local church is not just a place to collectively meet once a week. The presence of a local church in the areas where we serve means that they're introducing a whole new kingdom way to to think. This new kingdom way to think invites parents not to sell their kids. It invites spouses not to beat their wives. It invites neighbors not to kill one another. It says that there's a new way of treating one another to see yourselves made in the image of God and your neighbor as well. And so last year in the midst of covid we were able, through our partners, to plant 181 brand new churches in areas where they had never heard the name of Jesus. And I know at this point you're like, man, that's a lot of numbers. That's a lot to kind of think of. These are real people, real names, real stories. We were able to document 1,400 different baptisms. And you can see just a, a few of the pictures up here. These are, these are all people That once thought because of where they were born, they were born into a caste system that tells them they're nothing. And they were born into a worldview that says you screwed up in your last life. You're coming back in this low caste. You better not screw up again. And that is not the message of Jesus Christ. And they hear a message that they're made in the image of God that God has a plan for them to thrive right here, right now, thrive in their marriages, thrive in their families, thrive as kids, thrive as leaders. So they're going down into the water. Sometimes it's just symbolic to us, but to, to them, in, first of all, I've been able to baptize some people in this area. The water's super cold. Um, <laughs> but that's not a very spiritual insight. They go down with this idea that they're nothing, and they come out of the water, and the symbolism, the beauty that they are a son and a daughter of the king. This is what we get to be a part of when we talk about justice for the unreached. This word justice that can sometimes be polarizing by political ideologies or social philosophies, when in fact scripture clearly talks about how this work of biblical justice transforms individuals and communities. And I am not here to give you my opinion. I am not here to just talk about an organization or even what we're doing over there. We're talking about what the word of God says for us in this moment right now. And I will tell you this, that the Bible talks about the work of justice more than 2,000 times. That's more than it talks about money and sex combined. And so I'm not asking you to listen to my opinion, we're asking the Holy Spirit to reveal to us, why is this so important to the kingdom? The work of justice is part of the DNA of who God is. It's in the words of scripture, and it's in the life teachings and example of who Jesus was, and historically through the church, that we come alongside the poor and the oppressed. Sometimes I get to this point, and people are like, really, are you just going to ramble on about justice? And I... I don't find it rambling at all. I find it talking about one of the core facets of the DNA of the kingdom. In fact, I don't think we talk about justice too much. I think our concept of justice is way too small. I think if we would understand justice through the eyes of not just the poor in the press but through the creator, we would understand what a beautiful opportunity that we have. We have one word for justice and if your first language is English, then justice is really one word for us. But in the First Testament, there are multiple concepts. I'm gonna go over just three of them, and I say concepts because in the First Testament, there's only about 7,000 words in the spoken Hebrew language at the time, where we have about 170, and by we, if you're a a native English speaker, there's about 170,000, so I'm gonna do some bad math, but it's about, for every word that we read in the First Testament, it's gotta represent 25 of our words. All right, which is, you're lucky. I'm on like my fourth cup of coffee so I can talk fast. (laughs) To understand justice first, I think we have to understand when you read in the first or second testament, when you see the word peace, you have to understand the power of that word. Peace in scripture is not the absence of conflict. Peace in the First Testament is shalom, and it's the interconnected thriving of all people. So if you've ever watched a movie or hung out with people um, from a Jewish culture, you'll know that they say shalom to one another. And what they're saying is, I wish you peace, but also I'm reminding you of your responsibility for peace. The interconnected thriving of all people. This was laced into everything the Hebrew people would have understood when the word peace happens in scripture when they would hear it in Shalom. So then with that as a backdrop, okay, we're gonna go Hebrew. I know you like your Greek, but we're gonna go Hebrew just, just real quick, all right? The first word, when you look in scripture and you see the word righteousness, in Hebrew it's Sadaka. And righteousness, if you are like me, and I was raised just an hour and a half north of here in a church just like this. I like seeing some people raising their hands. A little bit of Holy Ghost That is how I was raised You know Um, And righteousness The way I was taught it Was predominantly my right behavior And right relationship with God It was very much this And that is the primary relationship In righteousness But the listeners of the day In Hebrew would understand That it never stopped here Righteousness was Because of my relationship with God It impacts my relationship with other people And it has to define it It has to help heal it. It has to help um, drive and give boundary and give impetus and give energy to my relationships and to the created world. So they would have had this holistic understanding of every time you read the word righteousness, it's like, it's like, wow, it's this interconnectedness. Remember peace, shalom, the interconnected thriving of all people, righteousness is that there is a right way for me to do things with God and with other people. And theologians call this primary justice. This is closer to our word justice. So when you see, and oftentimes, translations of scripture, it says justice and righteousness, because those two are very, very close. But when you see that, then we get to mishpat, which when you see the word justice is retributive justice or secondary justice. Um, Justice And what this means is because of my relationship with God and because my relationship with Caden's getting better now because me and God are good, so me and Caden are going to be good, right? Because of that, I now know what healthy relationship looks like. I also see what unhealthy looks like. I see what broken looks like in individual and in groups. And this is the part that gets hard for people sometimes. When Jesus in the Second Testament and God in the First Testament are talking about justice, they're talking about groups, seeing groups that are systematically disadvantaged, seeing laws, seeing systems, seeing people that are paying attention to some at the expense of not paying attention to others. And then Jesus kept saying, pay attention to the others. This is your role, pay attention. And this idea of mishpat, paying attention and doing something about it, seeing brokenness and stepping in and doing something about it, was almost always connected to what's called the quartet of the vulnerable, the widow, the orphan, the poor, and the refugee, almost all the time. So we know through scripture, this is something that we get to do. And this will cause the kingdom not only to come alive out there, but also right here. If you're here this morning and you're feeling like, hey, You know, I'm just kind of coasting. Things don't feel very alive. If you're a young person and you're having a hard time connecting, what does the kingdom have to do with me and my school? Part of it is that you are created to be an ambassador, a mouthpiece for the kingdom. And one of the things that you can do is advocate for the poor and the oppressed. And the great part about it is nobody's going to argue with you about that. This idea of us caring for the poor and the oppressed then we go back to the First Testament, Micah 6, 8. It is basically the John three sixteen of the First Testament. John three sixteen, for God to love the world that he gave his only begotten son, right? That's in the sec- Second Testament. I mean, we anchor everything on that. In the First Testament, they anchor everything on Micah 6, 8. Because it says, hey, what's the most important thing for us to do? Do justice, love mercy, walk humbly with your God. Do justice, do mishpat, the most important thing. Now that you know what good, healthy relationships with God and with others look like, look for where it's broken and do something about it, individuals and groups. Individuals and groups. Go look for it. Go be a part of it. Be an ambassador, an emissary of what healthy living looks like. I've been wrestling for at least three years, and maybe you can help me, but there is a verse in First um, John 3, 17, 2 John. What is it? Thank you, you're so smart. Very biblical young lady right here. (laughs) 1 John 3. And, And the basic idea, and you can read it, but here's how it goes over in my head all the time. If you see somebody in need and you don't respond, how can the love of God be in you? Now, this is not a verse about whether you're going to heaven or hell. That's only through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's the only way that we have the heaven and hell conversation. But what this says is if you see a need and you don't respond to it, if something's happening in your heart, even this morning, going, hey, maybe I need to step up and do something, and you don't respond, well, that's an indicator that something's broken in that area. And if we talk about justice 2,000 times in scripture, we know that it's a core DNA. So as we move from 21 to 22, wouldn't that be a core DNA for MBC? And you all have to figure that out. I'm gonna, as I land the plane, give you three ways that maybe as you kind of uh, finish out 21 and head to 22, maybe ways that you can think about doing Justice, because up to this point, it's been a lot of Hebrew, a little bit of Greek, so making fun of Pastor Lance, the good bishop. But now, now our job is to go, God. What does your word have to say, and how do I apply it right now, right here? So the first thing is, I, I want to just talk about three spaces where we can do justice. And the first space I just want to talk about for a minute is with your family in your homes. Talk to parents first, but really to everybody, including kiddos, including those of you who don't have kids in your home, or those of you who live by yourself or with roommates. It's for everybody, but, but are you having conversations about this in your home? Are you willing, after we leave from this place, to not quickly go get a bite to eat, and it's a late game, so you can, you can you know mosey home before the triumphant return of Aaron Rodgers over Russell Wilson, God bless his soul, every other game but this one. Um,
4: <laughs>
1: but are you willing to have a conversation as spouses? Are you willing to have a conversation with your kiddos? Are you willing to have a conversation uh, that, that creates space? And then I would ask, are you willing to actually create space in your homes? Um, there's a story in 2 Samuel 9, and it's King David. And King David has just ascended to the throne. All right, Saul... Uh, is dead. Saul was trying to kill David. And uh, now David ascends to the throne. And as he ascends to the throne, the, the protocol for that time and space is to kill off everybody in the lineage of Saul. It would have been prudent leadership. It would have been good political ideology. People would have celebrated, kill everybody off. But David instead says this. And if you want a question to kind of write down, David says, to whom should I extend kindness? And he specifically says, to whom shall I extend kindness in the house of Saul? So he's specifically saying, how can I practice being nice to people that are my enemies? And the answer becomes this guy named Mephibosheth. Mephibosheth is a grandson. But Mephibosheth's not only a grandson that he should kill, but he's a grandson that has a lame foot. And people who had any deformity shouldn't have been in front of loyalty. So I picture this guy kind of dragging in, a little bit like Caden with his crutches, right? Uh, so, my bad, too soon. I pray God fully blesses your hip. Um, but, uh, but I feel Mephibosheth coming in thinking, this king's going to kill me, and he has every right to kill me. And Mephibosheth said, David says, there's a spot at my table. You can eat at my table. We've set a place, and not just now, but ongoing. And what I would say to you parents and you who are in control of your dinner table are you creating space? Not, this is not an analogy. This is not just a sermon illustration. Are you inviting people that aren't like you to your home? Are you inviting people? Are your kids watching you have conversations with people that aren't just like you? That make you go, hmm, why are you doing this? Are you creating that kind of space so that you can build relationship as an ambassador of the kingdom? My, my wife and I have this conversation. As Lance so eloquently put, well, you didn't say it this way. I'm going to, I'm a professional Christian. I didn't say I was a good Christian. I'm professional. I get paid to be a Christian. I work for a Christian nonprofit. I work for a Christian university. I work for a Christian church. I work for a Christian detention center. Like four Christian things. I get paid to not get drunk. I get paid to not do drugs. I get paid to not run a gambling ring, right? I get paid to behave well. I've got kiddos, and my wife and I ask the question, who are we as Christ followers when we're not getting paid? We live over North Minneapolis. And in Minneapolis, we started asking the question, who are the poor and the oppressed? Who's the widow, the orphan, the refugee, the impoverished? And one of the most vulnerable populations are kids in foster care. I want you to listen to me real quick. I never felt called. People hide behind feeling called. You might not feel called to be a part of Venture. You might not feel called to be a part of NBC. You might not feel called to be a foster care. Maybe your feeler's broke. Maybe your calling is broke. But the God of the universe in Scripture invites us to pay attention and respond. I'm not saying everybody has to be foster. But I will say my wife's like, I don't really care if you feel called. This is what Scripture says. Would you at least take a class? We took a class. Then we took a few more. That was seven years ago. This is my family today. We just adopted Moses uh, in July, this is Nia, Winnie, my beautiful wife, Justice. It's good-looking here. By the way, I'm very encouraged by all the men with long hair in this place. This is a very spiritual group here. Well, well done. Lance, maybe a little mullet. Yeah. But here's the deal. having the conversation, Having the conversation meant the kingdom exploded in my house. Sometimes that explosion's a mess, and it's crazy and chaotic, but it's beautiful. This isn't a message about getting in foster care. It's not a message about venture. It's a message about scripture and how we respond to what it says in our life. So you can do justice in your home. You can do justice in your community. And there's this story, I'm almost done, the Good Samaritan. You don't even have to know it in scripture to know kind of the story of the Good Samaritan, because we actually have laws. In our country called Good Samaritan Law It basically says see someone in need You can help them and you're protected The Good Samaritan is a story of somebody Who went out of his way to help somebody On on a journey from Jericho to Jerusalem 13 miles The great Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Did a sermon about the Good Samaritan And he talked about identifying That 13 mile stretch in your city that's right, I could even go a lot like this. I'm, I'm rolling, I'm, I'm copied up. You talked about that 13 mile stretch in your city. I don't know your 13 mile stretch. Y'all gonna watch him until I'll just sit here. Kay, Kay, I think you're doing a great job. In fact, it was probably somebody else's fault. Is this working or no? It's It is? Otherwise, I, I can yell, man. We're, I, I grew up charismatic, man. I can do this thing. All right. Oh, look at that. Well done. Y'all did a good job. The whole family. It's impressive. Okay. The 13 mile stretch. I, I know the 13 mile stretch in my neighborhood. I know the 13 miles of vulnerability, of pain, of crime. I know the 13 miles to go out of my way to go help. What's the 13 miles in Dane County? I mean, I can look online. You might not know this. I know. Madison has a poverty rate of about 18%. That's above the national average. It's above the Wisconsin average. It's lower than my city, but I know that, but that that doesn't do anybody in poverty any good for you to know that stat. What it does is to understand where that 13-mile stretch is and what God has called you as an individual and then NBC to to do justice in your community. And then you can do justice in the world. You can do it in your home, you can do it in your community, and you can do it in the world. And i love that a value of NBC is actually to be investing in missions around the world i believe people god calls people to missions and i believe that we should all be involved in missions i believe we should be work in involved in the work of justice around the world a biblical justice that invites people to care for the physical and the spiritual state of every person and when we do when we respond in that way whether it's somebody getting on a bike or whether it's generosity or whether it's praying we become parts of stories that are radically transforming whole communities, like my friend Hannah. Watch this story.
3: My
4: parents and village people work in the gravel pit. During rainy season, work is not possible. Since the shores of flooded. Many people go hungry from the little they earn from selling sand. Therefore, people are compelled to sell their bodies.
3: In Nepal, there is a caste system. Brahman is the highest caste. And badi are a part of the Dalit, which is the lowest, the untouchable caste. When I was small,
4: our friend and her husband lived near our house, and they would often come to visit. The husband told my sister that he wanted to take her to visit our mother's birthplace in Ramgat.
3: Instead, he took her in a tractor, where he drugged
4: her to make her unconscious.
3: He sold her for $30. I started losing consciousness from the shock of losing my sister. So my
4: father took me to the hospital in Nepal, Gunj.
3: When the doctor checked the
4: x-ray, he read the report that I was body. He then tried to rape me.
3: Later, I told my father
4: that my doctor tried to rape me. My father said, if we say something to anyone, they will not treat us. To whom shall we complain?
2: When I met Hannah, her ace was a crucial ace to be sold out in Delhi. And she had also had great fear that somebody will destroy her life. So it took long time for me to establish relationship and then I began to build relationship with Hannah, her father, I began to share my heart to them that in order to protect them we would start hostel, or home in Kathmandu and uh, give them education and when I shared this they, they got excited. When I went to the hostel, the
3: behavior of
4: the people that changed me after going there i learned what real love
3: looks like and
4: the thing that changed me most
2: has been getting to know
3: Jesus.
2: in seven years of time out of 700 people 400 people have come to know the lord and today by the power of the gospel the village is changing and the former trafficker who sold hannah's sister is the pastor of that church. I'm very thankful to the Lord for venture because partnership is helping us to fulfill our daily needs in the hostel, in the schools, everywhere. And together we are going to stop human trafficking in body people.
1: of time, Um, but I want to be really clear that that this morning is not primarily about whether or not you get involved with venture or even uh, how deeply you get involved with MBC. The starting point is what you do with scripture and what you do with a core facet of the DNA of the kingdom. What you are experiencing right now is God's spirit inviting each of you to understand his love for other people more deeply. A moment like this isn't about if you become foster care providers or venture people. It's a reminder that people like Aaron from Shawano (coughs) heard a message, got on a bike, yada, 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 40 million dollars and tens of thousands of lives have been changed. It's about Hannah, who opened scripture and not just received Christ, but began forgiving people. And now 180 of her family members are part of the kingdom. And two months ago, she just spoke in front of the UN. She now runs the first female-led body women empowerment movement in Nepal, where she's teaching feminine hygiene. She's teaching accounting and church planting. It's about what we do in these moments, big or small. Because the kingdom is beautiful, and we've been invited into it, and we get to be an ambassador of it. And so as the good Bishop Lance um, would come join me, I'd like to just uh, say a prayer over you. Um, that God's word, and you can keep your eyes open, but God's word would find it's resting place in your soul. And joining one of the longest-standing prayers in the history of humans in, in numbers, I pray that the Lord would bless you and keep you, that his face would shine upon you as you go to school tomorrow, as you go to work. I pray that he would lift your countenance, which is just fancy speak for put a smile on that face, joy in your heart, hope as you look forward, 21, 22, and that his grace would mark this space, that this space would be marked as a group of people that understand the 13 miles in Dane County, but more than that, understand the DNA of the kingdom that brings a fullness and a direction and a passion. And I pray over you and Lisa, over your family and over this next season, that it would bring you great joy. I'm not interested whether it's easy or not, but you've already passed that test. You already know that you can thrive when it is and isn't easy. But I pray that you lead and vision for not only this physical space, but for this this community and this county for His kingdom and His glory. Amen.
4: John, will have you come up real quick.
0: Today when we met earlier And I watched as John had an aha moment I want you to share about that real quick Just kingdom, the fiduciary part of the kingdom Um, Share about that And then I have a, a word for
5: the church And so I guess in a manner of context There are some professional designations out there That have what's called a fiduciary obligation Uh, Matt and I are in finance, we are considered fiduciaries, attorneys are fiduciaries, physicians are fiduciaries, and essentially a fiduciary is just somebody that's putting other people's interests ahead of their own. So in the financial speak, just to kind of make this uh, real for everybody, uh, there are solutions that Matt and I have available for clients that invest with us. And the fiduciary is not going to position a solution for you based on how we get paid. We're going to position that solution based on how it benefits you and makes your financial situation better. So as we were speaking with Paul this morning, he said the word back to me, but in the context of the kingdom. And the aha moment for me is, are we acting in the best interest for the people that make up God's kingdom, which is everyone? And you know, talking this morning about fostering or using your resources, whether that's your time or your treasures, your talent, etc. It, I don't, I, I use that word daily, and I have for 17 years, and I've never thought about it in those terms. You know, am I truly acting in the best interest of God's people with with what I do? So maybe that connects with some of you. Uh, maybe it doesn't, but. Hopefully, you found a word this morning that does. Um, Yeah, truly a blessing to have you here, Paul. So thank you. Thanks,
0: John. Um, I had the privilege to meet with Abby yesterday. And she has um, Magnum Opus, a Christian ballet school here. And I watched her meet at Yolas and cast the vision with different folks. And we've been able to be a part of that and so there's people like abby who god's given a platform um, but it took a dream right you know god dropped in your heart to do something um we are part of the fundraiser and i loved how you were partnering with um you know those who what was the um the group of girls that you guys are partnering with Oh like Gigi? yes mm-hmm. the down yeah the down syndrome um gals mm-hmm. yeah, and just using that influence you know and using that platform for good and so maybe i'm bringing up these examples this morning to say we do have a fiduciary responsibility for the kingdom of god and and the blessings and the callings and the gifts that god's given us and you might be a you know someone that's a leader or has a platform or um, has a connection or a network of people that you can do something big like what paul talked about this morning with the those who founded Venture or you might just be like he said this morning, you might be a young adult that says, you know, I I, I can't imagine doing anything like that. Right. Or, or my personality doesn't lend that way. But there's something that you can do, you know, and we all have a responsibility, no matter if we're in, in business or if we're just a stay at home mom or, um, you know, just a person who works and you just work work this day after day and you know just uh, what i do is just mundane you know it's just routine and i and i can't connect in that way but god has something you know just like i was telling Kaden yesterday there's a widow that lives right behind us who asked for her lawn um and her leaves to be done yesterday and i said son just go serve her i'll pay you i don't want her to pay you And I was excited when, you know, Kayden came home and said, she asked what, and I'm like, nothing, I just wanted to do it for you. Of course, she said no, and gave him something. You know, but it's the heart and what you are training your kids to do, and it's just the right thing to do. And so we're excited, Paul, as a church, to partner with Venture in um, this next spring or summer. Uh, Paul shared with us ways that we can do that to be um, an ambassador and advocate for the oppressed and the marginalized here in our city, and there's a lot of different things. I invite you to go to Venture.org and look at all the different um, opportunities to get plugged in. There's a Ventures Miles app that you can turn miles, whether it's running, biking. I'm looking at Janelle, you're, you know, you're a runner, you're a biker. You know, there's ways that you can have an influence for that. There's something around Thanksgiving that you can plug into, but corporately we're going to get together and um, do something this April. We're going to bless Paul today as a church. We're not going to receive an offering or anything like that, but we want to do something to raise some funds this next year and represent the Kingdom of God here in Madison. But beyond that corporate call, what does God tap in your heart to do today in your neighborhood and your spheres of influence? So let's Um, Stand together as the worship team comes. We're going to worship together in this last song. But let's just pray. Father, thank you for your heart, your DNA that was transferred, Lord, um, through Paul and through the things that he shared this morning. Thank you, Father, for his influence. Lord, we... Just yesterday, Lord, Josh and I were reading about Jabez. The prayer of Jabez, Lord, was that you would expand our territory. Father, I pray that we would take territory in this city for the kingdom of God. Lord, for so long, the church has been known as what it's against. Lord, help us to become known for what we're for. And let it be the things that you're for, Lord. Paul talked a lot today about DNA. Kingdom DNA. Lord, we're going through Matthew right now. Lord, we're we're learning that your kingdom is divergent from ours, our culture, this world system. Do a work in our heart, Lord. I pray, Father, that this wouldn't just be a one and done service, Lord, but that you would continue to speak to our hearts as we leave this place this morning. Help us to have those conversations, Lord. Help, help us to have those conversations that lead to your kingdom exploding in our home like it did for the Hurts. We thank you, Father, and we pray your blessing on your people. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let's worship in this last song.